Informal Podcast. I'm here as always with my good friend Sam. Sam, how are you doing right now? I'm doing fantastic, Austin. We got baseball on in the background. Um, the Vols definitely did not lose in the tournament in a heartbreaking fashion. It was just, you know, we didn't miss an entire week of podcasting based on my computer losing its mind. It's all been lovely over here in my neck of the woods. How are you doing? Two of those three, two of those three things are definitely true. I'm going to let, let the listeners figure <laughs> out which ones are true. It is true. We did record a podcast last, night, or last week, but alas, technical difficulties. Um, Blame so, it on the producer. Yeah, we'll throw some of the stuff we, we talked about in that podcast in here. And one of the main things we talked about is we actually got some voicemails. So our good friend, Brennan Pearson, who we went to high school with, reached out and, and sent in um, a lengthy voicemail, voicemails. Um, voicemails, plural. Voicemails to discuss some of the things we talked about on our Yeti podcast. So what I think we want to do is just do an entire pod or entire voicemail podcast really so you know voicemails and conspiracy closet and all that stuff so please 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 send in your voicemails on anything and everything just try to keep it clean and try to keep it under what do you want to say two minutes yeah i would say try to keep it between one and two minutes if you can if you can't we'll just edit out the stuff that you aren't you know if if you're not bringing it we're going to edit edit you out anyway so just condense it to like 90 seconds of takes if you want to talk longer if you want to talk longer just make your own podcast it's not hard it's really not that difficult right (laughs) obviously so (laughs) again the number if you want to call in and leave a voicemail for the informal podcast our number is 615-669-2623. Call in, should go straight to voicemail, talk about whatever you want, and we'll do a pod on it. So hopefully you get some more pumped about doing that. It's going to be awesome. It is going to be fantastic. You already gave a shout out to Brennan. I know for sure we've got at least one more person who said that they are planning on um, calling in. I also know for sure firsthand that someone called in during and after the Tennessee game last Thursday. Um, may or may not have been me. Those may or may not ever see the light of day. There was a range <laughs> of emotions there. Um, wanted to give wanted to give the podcast listener the um, real take, hot take off of that game. Maybe we'll play it. Maybe we won't. We'll see. We're definitely going to play it. Oh, great. We de- <laughs> so just just prepare yourself for that. So in this pod, we're going to, as always, talk a lot of different sports, and I couldn't be more excited because baseball is back. Baseball is in full swing, and you got Major League Baseball games going on every day, and it's cold everywhere, and these guys are just getting into it, so it's really, really, really fun to watch. I think the overarching theme for the first week now, as, as we're closing it out, is home runs, home runs, and more home runs. You started off by Yelich hitting a home run the first four games of the season, which is just stupid. Insane. I mean, not only that, but also walking off at Aaron Hicks, 102-mile-an-hour sinker um, for the Brewers in that, in that last game. I mean, I don't think a reigning MVP has ever had a better start to the season. And to back that up, Goldschmidt hit four in his first four games. 
they were playing each other, weren't they? And they, they, yeah, yeah. <laughs> each one of those guys had four home runs. I mean, I, I don't know the exact number of home runs hit in the first week. Obviously, the week is not over yet, but the a answer lot. is a lot. A lot. You didn't, so, even, you didn't even mention the Mariners, who I think have turned into the 27 Yankees. <laughs> they what, beat, beat the Red Sox three out of four. They hung, I think, an eight spot on Chris Sale, which we probably need to talk about Chris Sale, too. Did you see his start yesterday? He was sitting at 89 with his fastball. That can't be good, right? You know, it's not, it's not good, but... It's not ideal. I, I remember last year, towards the end of the year, remember he went on the injury list, or at that point the disabled <laughs> list for a period of time because of his shoulder. And I know firsthand shoulders cannot be kind to you. So Funny my first thing. thought is that... Something's really going on with the shoulder, and and he's just he's just pitching through it because he's Chris Sale. But the Red Sox just gave him this huge extension, and he I really don't think they would have given him a large extension if he had something majorly wrong with the shoulder. It, it, they just wouldn't, you know. That's <laughs> they would not do that. So especially with the amount of money they gave him, so I th- I think he'll get back in the swing of things. I don't think anything's you know wrong. Uh, guys, you know, just sometimes take a, take a while to get warmed up. You know, not everybody comes out of the gate like Alvarado from Tampa Bay throwing 99-mile-an-hour bowling balls. Make Two break. seamers moving eight inches. Yeah, it's nasty. <laughs> I wouldn't worry about sale. Shouldn't be allowed. Well, that's the beauty of the first week of the baseball season is we want to, like, jump to conclusions on everything because we haven't seen any real games in six months and we're all excited to watch it. But in reality, most of this is – you know, it would we wouldn't be making a big deal over well Chris Sale's a special case if he comes out throwing eighty nine it doesn't matter what point of the year it is it's probably going to be a big deal but most of this stuff it's just like yeah it's interesting because it's the first we've seen but let's give everything a couple weeks to settle down right but I think it's a great time to go against what you just said and t- have some hot takes from the first weekend so of course we're gonna have takes let's go let's hear so, yeah yeah so dive right in. Let's talk first, Bryce Harper. Okay, Bryce Harper. Wow. Bryce Harper comes out, does you know a little little pump me up for the Philly fans there in right field. Everybody's loving it. He proceeds to go over four, which is fine. But next day he hit a ball. It got worse from there. Next day he hit a ball approximately, I don't know, seven hundred and fifty feet. And I hit Benjamin Franklin off the thing in Philadelphia. <laughs> I mean, just an absolute bomb. Um, then he goes to Washington and hits a home run and goes three for four or whatever in his first, um, you know, his first game back in Washington. So, you know, w- w- what's your take sort of on Bryce Harper, you know, coming back this first weekend? And I guess Machado. Machado, too. Machado started off in, you know, in San Diego, and he finally hit his first home run today. But – you know, just on those two guys leaving in their starts. I think um, I said to someone during the offseason, I don't remember who it was, that I think that Bryce Harper is going to go into the Hall of Fame in the cap of the Phillies. At the time I said he's going to go in the Hall of Fame into the cap of whoever he signs with this offseason. I think that that's going to go down, as, here's a hot take, that's going to go down as the best free agent signing since Barry Bonds. Wow. I think that that Bryce Harper was the most hyped prospect, I mean, ever, probably, ever since since King Griffey Jr. in a long time. 
and he comes up and he's good but not great. Then he has the one MVP season. He battles injuries in Washington. He's he's an all-star, but he's not the MVP everybody thought he was going to be for the entirety of his Nationals career. He's still only 26 years old, and he's got at least six to seven prime years left in him, if not eight or ten, which is, you know, probably I would lean towards the higher end of that spectrum. And maybe I'm just saying this because he absolutely crushes the Braves like a grape, and he always has, and he continued that in the opening weekend of the season. And I may just be saying that because I'm dreading the next decade of my life where he's still on one of our division rivals hitting, you know, seven to to 12 home runs against us every year. There's no one in the league that I fear more when he comes to the plate against the Braves. I don't know. That's not (laughs) rational because there's a ton of better hitters than Bryce Harper, but just when he's in the box against any Braves pitcher, I'm just assuming it's going to be a home run every single pitch. And it usually is. He kills us. He, I think that the next six years of his career are going to be better than the first six years of his career. And I just hate that he went to the Phillies. He could have went to anywhere else. He could have went to the Giants. He could have went to the Dodgers. Go play for the Yankees like everyone else does. What are you doing continuing to ruin my life as a baseball fan, Bryce Harper? Don't do this to me. Go somewhere else. But he didn't, and he crushed you like a grape. And he's going to keep crushing me like a grape. So did you see DeGrom's line today? I just saw it scroll across the bottom line here. Seven innings. Oh, oh, go ahead. Seven innings, no runs. Four or 14 strikeouts, and he had a home run. I mean, he had a home run. <laughs> he had a home run. He won the game. He he basically he won the game. Do you remember a couple? Like of years he should ago get one day. win over replacement for that game. <laughs> you remember a couple years ago on opening day when Clayton Kershaw threw a complete game shutout and hit a solo home run, and the Dodgers won one to nothing. Yeah, I, I think that's a, I think it's a full. That's a full war. I think you get a full war for that. Yeah, R.I.P. Clayton Kershaw for now. Yeah, I know. We don't need to talk about that. That's too sad. But uh, I didn't see DeGrom's specific line. I did see that he is on a quality start streak of something ridiculous. I I can't remember off the top of my head if it was 26 consecutive quality starts or 46 consecutive quality starts. (laughs) Either way. (laughs) Either way, it's ridiculous. He might be the best pitcher in the league, the best pitcher this side of Max Scherzer. I don't know. Who's the best pitcher in the league now that Clayton Kershaw is in RIP status? It's got to be DeGrom, right? I mean, he won the Cy Young last year. And, you know, to have that many straight quality starts, you know, it's got to be DeGrom performance-wise. You know, I, I think that, you know, there's some guys probably with a little better stuff. You know, Scherzer has incredible stuff. Walker Buehler has incredible stuff. You know, there's a lot of guys in the AL. Verlander still has really, really good stuff. You know, Chris Sale. Like 48 years old, by the yeah, way. Yeah, yeah. So, but, you know, if I if you told me, you know, you've got one game, you got a wild card game, um, you know, who who would you take to start this game? I'd probably right now say Jacob deGrom. You know, that may just be me. But what about you? I think it's between deGrom and Scherzer, which just continues the theme of this podcast that every single team, <coughs> excuse me, that every single team in the National League East is out to get the Braves, <laughs> and it's the best division in the league, and I hate it because we have to face DeGrom and Scherzer like a combined 12 times a year, and Bryce Harper is still going to hit 50 home runs off of us. So this is a Braves podcast. It's not a Titans podcast, but it is a Braves podcast, and the Braves season has not started out the best, buddy. I'm not loving it so far. Well, 
you know, it's okay. Whenever you don't have to face Scherzer or DeGrom, you get somebody like Syndergaard or you get oh, yeah. somebody just, like Strasburg. Just Syndergaard or Strasburg or Patrick Corbin or, you know. That Richards Zach, guy from Miami is gross, too. Zach Wheeler. Yeah, Miami is going to be terrible, yet they still have, like, four guys who throw 97 with nasty Guerrero, breaking stuff. Yeah. Urania. Uh, Jose Urania, who's actively trying to kill my favorite players. Um, yeah, it's been great. You know, I'm, I'm in a good place mentally and emotionally. Good. It sounds like it. So <laughs> I, I think that's a great transition to talking about the big news with Ronald Acuna and his $100 million extension that he signed today, today, yesterday. Yes, sir. Yes. Um, yesterday, yesterday at nine forty-seven central daylight time. I wasn't keeping up to keep track or anything. It sounds like it. Yeah. I, I want to talk about sort of the extension mania as a whole, but I want to sort of give you the floor now as the, the resident Braves fan here to, to talk Acuna's extension. What was it? Eight years. Six years, eight years, eight years, a hundred million with two option years on top of that. Team options, team options for pennies. As a um, as a known cynic and pessimist about all things sports fandom, I didn't know how to process this because this is like without a doubt one hundred percent a positive for my favorite team, the Atlanta Braves. So he gets it's eight years, and then he there's two years. Are that is that tacked on to the end, or is that yeah? So he can use 10 years of control. 10 years of control. The most money he can make over that 10 years, I think, is $124 million. So you're telling I me think. at the end of that, it's $12, it's $12 million options. Well, they're $17 million options at the okay. end of that, which is okay. – and that's why – because I, I heard the total value reported is one twenty four, but I know the two option years are $17 million. So that would be one thirty four maybe. Okay. I don't know. Either way, it's going to be like half of what he's worth. Um, and there's been a lot of hot takes about that. But I just want to come at it from a Braves perspective. This is maybe the the best, you know, the most team-friendly extension ever. Absolutely. Ronald Acuna is – he's already one of the best players in the league. And if he – you know, I think he played 110 games last year and he was rookie of the year. He was worth over four wins above replacement which is a flawed stat I think we can talk about later at some other time if you want to, but whatever. He's one of the best players in the league on 110 games. He plays a full season. He's going to be right up there with MVP candidates. I mean, there's there's national people are picking Ronald Acuna to win the MVP this season at age 21. If he just moderately improves year over year like he's expected to be, this, this deal is an absolute steal. If he's just the guy he was last year for the next 10 years, it's still a steal. It's incredible – First of all, that the Braves were able to convince him to sign this contract. Um, But I don't really know how to think about it because it is definitely team-friendly, right? Acuna definitely left a lot of money on the table. At the same time, he just guaranteed himself $100 million. I mean, if he blows out his knee tonight and is never able to play up to his standard again, he's going home with $100 million at the end of his career. So I find it difficult to knock a guy for signing that deal Uh, he could have got a better deal probably um if he just played it out through the system chances are he's going to end up signing a three or four hundred million dollar contract in six years when he's a free agent chances are but now he's taking all the risk off the table and he's locked in a hundred million dollars i'm really curious to get your perspective on this as a player what how do you view it from the player's point of view because i know a lot of people are upset 
with the deal Acuna signed and with deals like this that are giving away free agency years for way below market value, basically it seems to me from the outside because because players are scared to go into free agency because of the way free agency has gone the last couple of years. So Acuna is 20, right? 21, I think. But yeah. Okay, okay he's 20, uh, 21. So Mike Trout was 21 in 2013. And he, I guess, has played... Well, let's let's for let's just make it his first. He played forty games his first year. So, in two thousand twelve, so his second year in baseball, that's when you know Acuna's deal is in place, right? And Trout's played one, two, three, four, five, six, seven years since then. So, and Mike Trout still had a couple of years left on his deal. So, if you think about it that way, Acuna's kind of going to be hitting the mega contract number around maybe a couple of years later but around the same time as trout you know he could still get a mega contract after this one and you know ask me about sort of my take on Acuna's deal it's definitely team friendly you know I, I think that especially with those two years of club options at the end you have no idea what inflation is going to do and the contracts are going to look like in eight years so to have two years at 17 million I mean that's that could be a utility player, you know. I I don't I don't know what the money's going to look like after the next CBA and you know that stuff. I, I would I get it. I get it from his perspective. I think he could have locked himself up a little better and still had money on the back end. He could make more of you know if if, if the team has seven years of control, you know why not you know maybe have that one option in there but not both of them. But at the same time, he's locked himself up for life of having enough money for him, his family, for his kids, grandkids, all that stuff. $100 million is a lot of money, especially with how good he is. He's going to make money on the back end as well. So, yeah, I honestly think he'll get about seven years into this deal, six years into this deal, and then he'll sign a mega extension like Trout did. As long as he, you know, I'm not saying he's Mike Trout, but I'm saying that he's going to be a perennial all-star. So, I think that well, the Braves want to lock him up, you know, before they get to that free agency year. So, I and, and as a measure of goodwill and wanting to keep him, you know, I think they're gonna be like, all right, he's worth more than seventeen million. Let's give him, you know, a lot more money. Absolutely. As a Braves fan, the best case scenario for me is that Acuna is an MVP caliber player over the next five or six years, and that as he gets into like his age twenty seven, twenty eight season the Braves show that goodwill, like, hey, you signed a super team-friendly deal on your first go-around. Here's a huge contract to take you through the end of your career, let you retire as a Brave, let you hopefully go into the Hall of Fame as a Brave. And I really, I really hope that's how it works out, which, by the way, as an aside, the fact that people immediately compare Ronald Acuna to Mike Trout whenever you do comparisons with players and no one thinks it's crazy is incredible to me. I mean, like you said, He's not Mike Trout, but that's like the first comp people automatically go to. And I don't know how to handle that as a fan. Like that's just the promise of having a player that's even potentially that good is something foreign to me in my sports fandom. I'm really excited for it. I'm also bracing for like a worst case scenario, but I'm just going to try to enjoy this good news. This is in inequivocally good news for the Braves and good for Ronald hey, Acuna too. Listen, good for enjoy him. It, enjoy it now. Be where your feet are. You know, all that stuff. And sure. Enjoy Enjoy this this beatdown four two game right now. Of, of yeah, just well, Ronald the game. Is, well, I mean, if you want to go negative, we could spend five minutes talking no, about okay. the Braves bullpen. No, I, I want to talk a little more about extensions. So, <laughs> you know, 
the Sukunia deal was part of a larger mass of extensions that have been signed this spring training. Of a lot of players, including Sale, Verlander, Trout, Degrom, Degrom. Who else? I mean, there's, oh, there's a ton. Arenado signed. Eloy Jimenez yeah, signed without right. with zero days major league service time. Um, so I mean, the the obvious thing to point out is that you look at the superstar players that are available this offseason, and Mike Trout and I'm sorry, Bryce Harper and Manny Machado and see how long it took them to sign. Yeah, they eventually got their money. They eventually got, you know, what they were what they were asking for, but you know, it was like kind of like pulling teeth and I mean, Dallas Keuchel was argu- arguably the best starting pitcher on the market and he's sitting on the couch right now. Him and Craig Kimbrell both. So, these players, they see, you know, sort of that process of what those teams going are going through about like, hey, I would rather pay, you know, put this top prospect who's got great stuff on the mound for $500,000 and pay you $25 million to, you know, go 14 and and seven or whatever, you know, and hope that this guy pans out and I've got seven years of control of him. So, you know, who knows what's going to change with the new CBA that's, you know, coming up here in a couple of years. But right now all these players are like, I'm going to get mine now. I don't, I don't want to be sitting on the couch, you know, and you know, you, they can maybe not make as much as the, if they went to the free agent market and, you know, had a, a bunch of players, bid, a bunch of teams build, bidding on them, but they're making a large fraction of that. So exactly. that, that's sort and of what you're saying. And you're going to be making more than Dallas Keuchel's making right now, like you alluded to. And it's not going to be, you know, the the best of the best are still going to get their contracts. They're still going to get their money. You know, like like you said, Machado and Harper, they got pretty much what we expected them to get going into the offseason. Maybe not quite as much, but, I mean, huge contracts. But it's guys like Keuchel and that next tier down where the system is set up in such a way where young players are so cheap to teams. And if you have a guy who is going to be above league average at the league minimum, why would you pay a guy? I'm just basically recycling what you said, but that's the way that the system set up for this, I guess, the last couple of CBAs. Salaries are so artificially deflated on young guys. And the system is set up that way so small market teams can compete, right? Teams like the Royals and the Rays can have guys on you know pre-arb contracts where they're basically paying them nothing and you can get high-level production out of those guys. The reason that system, quote-unquote, worked is because on the back end, teams like the Yankees and the Dodgers would pay these veterans huge salaries that they didn't necessarily, they didn't necessarily deserve based on current production, but they were, you know, it's kind of like we, you don't get paid while you're performing, you get paid after the fact. Well, teams wised up to that, and they said, well, that's dumb. We're not going to pay a guy, we're not going to pay Albert Pujols $25 million a year when he's a bad DH, you know, just because he was one of the best hitters in the world 10 years ago. We're not going to do that anymore. Teams aren't signing those contracts. They're not signing, you know, Ian Kennedy to an $84 million contract or whatever it was he got in free agency four or five years ago. They're just not signing that guy at all. That guy's just not playing. You know, he's taking a minor league deal and trying to get a roster spot or something. So it's really going to be interesting with the new CBA, how that goes. But that's exactly why guys are taking extensions. You know, why wouldn't you, if you're Chris Sale, and you hit free agency in, say, 2013 or 2014, 
you're going to get a 220 or 230 million dollar contract, maybe more than that. If you hit free agency in 2019, who knows what you're going to get? You know, Chris Sale is going to be what 31, 32 years old. So if the Red Sox come to you with a 150 million dollar extension, 130, I don't remember what it was, that may be 60% of what you're expecting to get when you got to free agency, but in the new landscape, it's probably the best you can hope to get. And it's not a great situation for the players, but at the same time, Chris Sale's getting $130 million. So it's like I understand why people would be upset that players are not getting what they used to get or what they should get based on their value. But in the, the way the current system is, I think this is the best route for the players to go is lock in what you've got while you can get it and then you know fight like heck at the next CBA to get a better deal. Right, yeah. I, I heard one time somebody tell me that a good month gets you a year and a good year gets you about seven years right. in the show. And, and, and like, that's the honest truth. You know, if, if you got a guy that's not a team friendly deal and he has a, a great year, then you can sign that deal for seven years. You know I mean? Look at the guy in Toronto, Grichuk. How do you say that guy's name? Grichuk? Grichuk. Grichuk. Yeah. Yeah, sure. Yeah. He, yeah, sure. He signed it. He signed a century in the day as well. So I mean, <laughs> yeah, there's three extensions on Acuna extension day, but we're only talking about the Acuna one because you know, well, reasons. Apparently. <laughs> so, do you have anything else to add on MLB opening week? No, I'm just really happy baseball's back. There's there's very few things in the world I enjoy more than coming home and sitting down and there being a baseball game on every single day. I'd I know really... you said this on the, on the last pod that we failed to publish, but <laughs> you said, you know, there's nothing better than coming home from work and throwing a game on the TV and you can watch it or you can not watch it, but it's there and it's happening and it's the best sport. So absolutely love it. Couldn't love it anymore. So that being said, let's transition away very awkwardly to (laughs) March madness. We are professionals. The madness that did in fact ensue this weekend when the team I chose to win the tournament failed to win their Sweet 16 game. <laughs> North Carolina gets beat by the Cheaters of Auburn, and then Kentucky goes down right after them. So we'll start with Auburn, and Auburn has beaten in a row Kansas, North Carolina, and Kentucky, three tried-and-true Blue Bloods. And the last game, they won without Okiki. And so... Now they have to play a really, really tough Virginia team. But I, I want to hear from you, a Tennessee fan, a former Bruce Pearl fan, on just the great run that Auburn's had this tournament. It is infuriating to me. Shocking. I'm going <laughs> to skip negative. All right. <laughs> it's Weird. infuriating to me that Bruce Pearl made the final four at Auburn. It really, like, it just gets under my skin because he had – a couple of fantastic teams at Tennessee that could never get over the hump. I mean, I remember the year, I think it was 2007, when we were a two seed and got put out in the second round. I remember as getting beat by Greg Oden when you had a 17-point lead in the Sweet 16. Just Oof. year after year. I the, the team that made the Elite Eight lose by one point to Michigan State because J.P. Prince can't make a free throw. I mean... It's just, it's the Tennessee fan psychology. We have it because there is two decades worth of anything that can go wrong will go wrong. And you have the best coach that your program has ever had in a sport and, you know, in a, a best basketball basketball coach anyway, and Bruce Pearl. 
takes the program to heights it hasn't seen in 40 years, can't quite get over the hump, gets ran out of town on some sketchy NCAA charges that, you know, he didn't handle well. He lied about the things that happened there. He did not handle it well. He had to go. Surfaces three years later at an SEC rival and is in the Final Four in like five years. It really, like, I mean, good for Bruce, I guess, but watching it from my perspective, it's just so infuriating to me. I mean, well, I mean, team, what, what's the, what's, what odds do you give this program of getting whatever their, their Final Four vacated? I mean, my first reaction is like 95%. But obviously, like, if I'm going to be more objective with it, I would legitimately say at least 50% this Final Four run gets vacated. He's already got two. He's got one assistant who's literally going to prison. He's got another assistant who just didn't show up for the SEC tournament because he's in su- like under such investigation. Bruce was like, nah, man, you can't be here anymore. And sent him <laughs> home. Like Seriously, that happened. It literally happened at the SEC tournament that they won. Bruce Pearl is a fantastic basketball coach. He's an incredible motivator. He's a great coach, a great developer of talent, but he just can't keep his nose clean, and I don't understand it. That part is also infuriating because it's like the the teams he put together at Tennessee and now this one at Auburn, and last year's team at Auburn was really good too, they're not built on five-star recruits. I mean, they're not. he's not doing the one-and-done thing. I think he had two five-star recruits, maybe three, while he was at Tennessee. He hasn't had any at Auburn to my knowledge. Yet, you're bringing in three and four star guys and turn them into, turning them into NBA players. Yet you still can't stay out of NCAA trouble. Like what? What's going on? I don't understand it. It's probably going to get vacated. That doesn't change the fact that it's an incredible run. I mean, the way that that team plays is, it's undeniably fun to watch. As much as I hate to say that, it's infuriating if you're rooting for the team they're playing against. But I mean, he's basically playing NBA basketball in in college. You know, he's doing the Rockets thing. They're they're shooting layups, dunks, and three-pointers, and he made the Final Four. So I guess good for him, but it's a long way of saying I'm begrudgingly happy for Bruce <laughs> Pearl, I guess. You guess, yeah. I mean, it, it is – I don't know. It it just raises, it's, raises questions, right? You know, and that's, that's all. I mean, it, it – I, I I hate it for Okiki getting hurt. Um, you know, I think that honestly getting into the Final Four, they'd have a lot better shot against Virginia if they had him. But if they get hot from three, then they, they could win the whole thing. So it'll be interesting. So they do play Virginia, who went off and played Carson Edwards in the game of tournament, maybe. And oh, man. It was a, a, a beautiful game. Edwards just went ballistic. I mean, he almost beat them by himself. Um, I mean, just he was hitting everything. At one point, he banked in a three, fading away from about 27 feet. With a guy it in was, his shirt. It, it was a sight to behold. And I thought they were going to do it. You know, they were up by three with, what, seven, six seconds left, and they yeah. decided to foul. They fouled up three. You Good know, call, though. Foolproof. I mean, you got to do it. It's the right call. Yeah, no doubt. You have to do it. And they did it. And, I mean, it's one of those things probably that those guys had worked on. You know, Tony Bennett, I'm sure, is like, this may come up in a game. Let's work on this and practice some. So you get this huge tip out to the point guard Clark. Um, and he makes, like – if, if I'm his in his shoes, right, he gets the ball at half court, and you think, all right, there's five seconds left once the first person touched it, and I just got the ball, 
To be honest with you, I'm freaking out and turn around and heaving that thing up from half One court. One dribble, shoot a half-court shot. But he, yep. but he has a wherewithal to pass it, and they tie the game, and the rest is history. So really happy for Virginia, honestly. I am on this podcast saying that I thought Virginia was going to win the national championship, and then I went back on that and picked North Carolina. But I'm back <laughs> on the Virginia bandwagon. I'm all in. And I'm repicking the final four. Taking care of business. Yes. Repicking the final four. It's repicking. Virginia. Uh, yeah, Virginia. <laughs> and I did have them in the final four. So there you go. They're the only final four team I got. Looking forward with them Michigan State, Texas Tech, and Auburn. I'm picking Virginia. Front runners Tony Bennett, Kyle Guy, my guy, Kyle Guy. <laughs> and to win the whole thing. So there you go. Definitely. That's my take. Definitely. That, just real quick on that Purdue-Virginia game, the um, the point guard Clark, that pass was incredible. I mean, underrated. No one's talking about Bread it. Breadbasket. Really. Just the fact that he was able to see that in that moment, make that pass. I think he's a freshman too, which is insane. But I want to talk about the reason that the game was, three, it was a three-point game instead of a four-point game. The possession prior to the free throws for Virginia, um, Purdue had the ball up by two, like nine seconds left. Ryan Klein, who single-handedly beat the Vols in the Sweet 16, made, I think, eight consecutive threes. Every time the Vols would go up, Ryan Klein would hit another three. Had the best game of his life, beat the Vols by himself. Ryan Klein's got the ball in his hands, gets fouled, down or up by two. Two free throws, you're going to the final four. He makes the first one and misses the second one. Stoink. Just botched it. I never, I mean, missed it. Okay, people miss free throws all the time, but this is a guy who hadn't missed a shot in like two full games. I mean, he was he was hot <laughs> against Virginia too. Not to True. the level he was against the Vols, but he had been, he carried the team through the Sweet 16 and then Edwards got hot in the Virginia game, but he was still, I mean, every open look, he was knocking it down and he missed that free throw. And Virginia tied the game, and the, the rest is history. It's incredible, an incredible game. Um, I think that ju- we've tangentially talked enough about the Sweet 16 where we don't have to dig into the Purdue-Tennessee game if you don't want to. On our um, on our voicemail podcast, you can hear my thoughts on that because it is recorded for posterity. Um, but, yeah, that's, that's the extent of my NCAA tournament talk, I think, unless you got anything else. No, yeah. I, one thing I do, do want to talk about with Tennessee is Bone – Jordan Bone declared for the NBA draft, but they do this weird thing, which I'm starting to become acquainted with. If you can declare for the draft and then say like, "Oh wait, no, I'm sorry, I don't. I was just kidding," and come back and go <laughs> to school. So um, I think that's what he's doing. He's just going to see sort of where his prospects are and make a decision for there. Yeah, for that. Uh, Obviously, that would be a big loss for Tennessee going forward, uh, but. Admiral Admiral Schofield did the same thing last year. And, I mean, it's just due diligence, I think. Grant will probably do the same thing. Grant Williams will probably do the same thing. You go and you get to go work out for the teams. You just don't hire an agent. And then if the teams be like, hey, man, you're not going to get drafted, then you just go back to school. Um, but it sounded like, based on the um, tweets and, and the headlines I was reading, that Bone is pretty dead set on going to the NBA. Like he's not hiring an agent, he's leaving the door open, but it seems like he's kind of done with Rick Barnes screaming at him for like four hours a day at practice, which I can't blame him. Um, and I think when he gets into an NBA system and gets into a more open, free flowing type of offense, I think he could have he could have a pretty decent NBA career. But 
yeah, that was the big news of the day in Ball's land. You know, I was listening um, to an interview on with Lipscomb's coach today, and he was talking about the guy, which Lipscomb going to the finals of the NIT yeah, at the Garden. NIT finalist. Like, would you would you rather go to the tournament and lose in the first round or go to the finalist of the NIT? If I'm Lipscomb, I don't okay, know. Okay, so I mean, it's, you want to go to the tournament, like I obviously, think so. but like, like, yeah, would you rather making be it this far for them? Right, I'd rather be Belmont, but Lipscomb honestly is like drawing a lot of attention to their program, and it's going to suck whenever Belmont comes and steals Casey Alexander from them, and you know they're back to square <laughs> one. But I mean, it's I think it's really good for him. Anyway, he was saying, you know, their their guard that that hit the big shot last night. I, I don't remember his name, but this he was like, you got to give him rope. Like he's going to take bad shots, but that guy's so good that. You know, I just I give him rope because he's going to take bad ones, but he's going to hit a lot of good ones. And, you know, I, I kind of think that, that Rick Barnes has a tough time giving somebody like Bone rope of, you know, saying, I almost feel like Tennessee a lot of times was scared to sort of make a mistake. And, you know, a lot of that has to, you know, falls on the coach of, you know, how are you, you, you going to yell at somebody and take a good shot? Or, you know, some guys, you know, if, if you know, Alexander took a – at three pointer, like yeah, yell at him because you don't want him taking that. But nah, he can shoot Bone, that shot. Rick Barnes won't let him. <laughs> if Bone, if Bone, if Bone, you know, shoots shoots a fadeaway three and and misses it, like yeah, it might not be a good shot, but that's your that's your probably biggest playmaker off the dribble. So you you live with it. You say like, hey, you know, maybe not the best shot you could take, but like you're not. I don't know. No, I'm not you're a basketball absolutely coach. Right. No, you're 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 dancing all over my biggest problem with the ball season. And I said this in front of a microphone. I don't remember if it was the last pod we posted or the last pod that we did not post. But that's my biggest problem with Rick Barnes. And it's it's not really a problem because it's why his teams are so good, right? He takes guys who are flawed prospects and he coaches them into really, really good college players. The point where it starts to really bug me is when you're in the Sweet 16 and your junior point guard is still like looking over to the sidelines between every play to see what coach wants him to do. And after every shot, looking over to see if, you know, if he's going to get yelled at for taking the shot he just took or doesn't feel comfortable in his own skin to go make a play. They're still relying on the coach. And he's, it's great when they're freshmen and they need that kind of guidance, but when they're your senior leaders, you've got to be able to, I really, I liked your, your phrasing of it. You got to take the reins off, you know, you gotta, you gotta let these guys go make plays. And when it came down to it in the tournament, Tennessee's guys weren't ready to just go make plays. They were still trying to run the offense and run the system. And at some point you've got to be able to just have your best players beat the other team's best players. And Tennessee wasn't ready for that. I'm hoping moving forward, we'll see more of that as Rick Barnes starts to land, you know, high level four and five star recruits, you're going to have to give those guys some more rope, I hope, but we'll see. We didn't even have Tennessee basketball in the itinerary today, and we spent 10 minutes on it. Sorry, it. it's my bad. No, no, I was, I was in there too. <laughs> so, I mean, we talked a little bit about, you know, joking about Alexander taking the Belmont job, but, you know, Rick Bird did retire, um, you know, after – Gosh, 33 years at Belmont. How are you feeling about that one, buddy? I I don't know. I just assumed that he'd be there the rest of my life. I don't know. I mean, it's it one of those things that like I hadn't been thinking about, you know. So, 
Um, you know, definitely a, uh, it sucks. I mean, he's, he's, a, he's an incredible coach and, you know, I, I've, all the guys that I knew when I was at Belmont love playing for him, you know, so I, they've got to hire a guy. Here's my biggest fear is that Belmont being the mid-major that they are and looking at other schools that are mid-majors, like I've been to some University of Tennessee Chattanooga games, right? And they had, uh, Will Wade was a UTC head coach, right? And he played, you know, probably bought a lot of players and they got good and he <laughs> Will left. Wade. Currently under FBI investigation, Will Wade from LSU. Right. For those of you who and, don't know, and then they had another good coach, and they, you know, they won games, and then he left. And like, it, it's it's a trampoline for a lot of these coaches, these mid-major programs. But Belmont's sort of built differently as a, a school that you know is really high academically, really high ethically, and and you know has a very niche basketball program. So hopefully they can get a guy like Casey Alexander. To be honest, you know that's going to maybe stick for the long haul and you know obviously there's great money to be made you know four or five six million dollars if you're really good at the next level but you know you're making a million at Belmont so you know maybe, maybe a team sticks you know a coach sticks out there is what I'm what I'm hoping the, the last thing I want is you know a a, a guy that comes in for a couple of years and leaves and then you got to find another guy you know that's that's where it gets tough for mid-majors to be honest yeah. you're in a much better place than I am to eulogize Rick Bird um, as a Belmont alumni that you are. But from an outsider's perspective, I've always kind of been jealous of the program that he runs there. And every time every time the Vols job has come open, which happens regularly in any sport, it's always the first guy. You know, you got to call Rick Bird and make him say no. And he always said no. He always said no to the Vols. He always said no. You know, Memphis came open a couple of times. All these other regional powers that you think would be able to go hire the Belmont coach – couldn't do it for what was it, 30, 33 years, 38 years, something like that. 33 years, yeah. That's, that's incredible. And I really respect a guy like that who doesn't want to just bounce to the next job and climb to the top of the ladder. He's like, no, you know, I've, I've got a program here that I've built that I enjoy that we have, have success with. And he just he stays for the long haul. Now, as, as a Belmont alumni, I want, I want you to get a little more specific in where you want the program to go. So, would you rather, and, and I don't know any of the names of any of these guys, but would you rather Belmont just hire Rick Bird's lead assistant, who I'm, I'm assuming there's a guy who's been there for a long time who could take it over and it'd be a, a seamless transition, or would you rather them go find, you know, like like the guy at Lipscomb or some other, someone else from the outside? How What would you do if you were in charge of making the hire? Oh man, I, I think if if the guy underneath him, I think his name's Ayers, something Ayers is his, is his associate head coach. So um, if that guy's really good, if that guy's got the leadership to be a head coach, I'd hire him. Like it's, um, you know, obviously. So you know the 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 thought that comes to mind is when. Um, Pat Summit left Tennessee and, and Warley took over and obviously she hasn't turned out well. That's not what I'm, you know, equating this to, but like she was the person, right? You know, she right. was, you know, obviously you, 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 and unless you go out to the sea and hire, you know, Gino or somebody like that, I mean, it was, you know, you would rather pick her, somebody who's been around the program and knows the ins and outs and knows what it stands for than bring in some hot shot, you know, and 
Obviously, unfortunately, it didn't work out at Tennessee for the women's basketball team. But I think that if this associate head coach has, you know, the tools to be the head coach at Belmont, I think you give him the first shot because you can always say, you know, all right, let's go out and find the next guy. But, you know, if you keep the program rolling and, you know, the recruits keep rolling in and you can sort of make a seamless transition. And I know Rick Bird's going to have a huge say in, you know, who, who their next coach is because, you know, they, they want to just keep it rolling as well. Then, you know, I'd, I'd rather them give it to them. Well, Braves are getting on the board here. Yeah, we got. Uh, I've got the Braves on the big screen and your Buckos on the small screen. Both teams have the bases loaded as we're talking. So if I start yelling or screaming or if Austin starts yelling or screaming, that's why to the audience. Um, but yeah, the, the last thing I was going to say about it is that a lot of times in, oh, I must be I must be a minute behind you because Johan Camargo just hit a double. That's what I'm talking about. Let's yeah, go. Tie that's ball what game. I was saying. Okay. Yep. YouTube TV. You need to. Uh, oh, yeah. Uh, bases clearing double. Shout out to Johan Camargo. What were we talking about? Rick Bird. Um, I think a lot of times in these situations where the legendary coach retires, usually the legendary coach kind of gets to pick their replacement, especially if they're going out on their own terms. Like when I, I'm always going to bring it back to a Vols example, cause that's what I know the best. When Philip Fulmer left UT, he, I, like, I think that, I think the official wording was Philip Fulmer resigns or retires, but Philip Fulmer got fired and he didn't get to pick, you know, he didn't have any say in who came next, but if a coach actually retires, usually that guy gets some say. So that would lead me to believe that, you know, that assistant coach is probably going to, you know, at least get the first look at it. But who knows? Let's go Braves. Yeah, we'll see. <laughs> Sorry. Um, <laughs> oh, oh, man. Keep me, how are you watching the Pirates? I got I'm MLB TV. Oh, I need to get that. Yeah, I'll, I'll send so, you a login. Um. Yeah, any other NCAA basketball talk we want to have? Um, not about the actual games. I think we probably need to talk maybe a little draft. I saw Jamont Murray. I got a breaking news alert that Jamont, Jamont, that's right? Ja Morant. Ja Morant. Ja Morant. I got a breaking Jamont, news. Jamont, Ja Morant. Ja Morant, Morant, Murray declared <laughs> for the draft. I'm shocking stuff. He's, he's like he's bowl, going bowl. To the, He's going to the NBA. Who could? Who would have ever known? Uh, he didn't want to stay for his junior year at Murray State. I uh, know. How, how could – I mean, come on. Show some loyalty, guy. Come on, guy. Yeah, Zion – so here's what I want to talk about. Zion hadn't declared yet. Morant has. Zion's going to declare. Once he gets done dunking over all the all the all his classmates at Duke. I don't know <laughs> if you saw that video. Uh, but um, so Zion's been the number one pick. Hyped is the number one pick all season long. He's a physical specimen. I saw that when they were asking um, Tom Izzo on how they're going to guard him, he said he hoped to to bring Khalil Mack to play because that's <laughs> the only way, um, which I think sort of really sums it all up pretty well. But Good sense of humor by Tom Izzo. Good for you. <laughs> he wasn't worried because he's like, hey, I've won a ton of these. So, yeah. <laughs> Who um, cares? If I don't win another game, I'm going to the Hall of Fame anyway. Right. So – my question is, we saw Morant play, and he's incredible, too. I mean, they're easily one, too. But can you make me a case for Morant to go ahead of Zion? Yes, I can, and I plan on it. So here's my informal podcast, informal case for John Morant, Morant, John Morant, Murray, Murray to go. Murray, wait, Murray State, right? That's where he went. Right. Uh, <laughs> my case for that guy to go number one. It's as simple as 
saying that he is a point guard. He's a creator. He is the guy you're going to run your entire offense through. So if you're a team like, the, say, the Suns or, you know, I'm, I'm trying to think of bad NBA teams. I, we'll just go with the Suns because that's the first the example. The Magic. Can, sure, the Magic. If it's the Magic and they don't take take John ja Moran, <laughs> everyone should be fired. The Magic haven't had a good point guard since Penny Hardaway. That, no, they, they had sh- they had Jameer Nelson. For yeah, they had bit. Jameer Nelson for 15 years. All right, stop clinging to Jameer Nelson, Magic fans. Go get John Moran. <laughs> Does he still play for them? Hey, probably. I don't. I think he's an assistant coach at St. John's or something. I have no idea. <laughs> I don't watch the NBA anymore. But, but say say the Suns or the Magic get the number one pick. When you've got both of those teams are good examples because they've got a lot of lottery picks because they're always terrible, and they've got sure. a lot of wings slash big men because that's just who the best players have been when they've picked so so the magic have mo bamba and aaron gordon and that dude from florida state who's like eight feet tall jonathan isaac i think is his name and the suns you know they took eight in last year they got josh jackson they've got devin booker as as a guard but he's not really a point guard if you're in a situation like that where you really need a point guard i think you go get go get i keep wanting to call him murray man why do i want to call him murray I'm so Jamont, hyped. I'm Jamont so, Murray. I'm so hyped after that Johan Camargo base is clear at double, man. I can't get my hair my head clean. Um You're about you're about to be more happy. Oh my goodness. Don't do this to me. All right. Uh I think if you need a point guard, you go get him because I think he's the best point guard in the draft. I think he can you can run an offense around him. He can make the players around him better. While Zion is probably the best overall all around basketball player, you know, he's obviously a freak of nature. He's whenever he wants to get to the rim, he's gonna get to the rim. That physical, you know, pounding brute style of play is not gonna. I mean, it's gonna work in the NBA. He's gonna be a great NBA player, but he's not gonna be able to bully people like he's doing in the ACC. So, I think Zion is still the number one pick. But there's my case for John ja Morant Murray to go number one overall, and that is a yeah. very clunky transition again because we're the informal podcast and I'm watching two baseball games right now. People, why are we talking basketball? It's baseball season. Tough, yeah. I don't think I can't make him. I, I don't know. Morant's great. I cannot think of a scenario where you don't take Zion. I don't. I, yeah, I don't maybe know. If, like, maybe if you're one, you of those take point Zion. Guard teams. If you if if you need a point guard, you take Zion. You trade him for yeah, Steph Curry. I was gonna say, yep, yep. Trade down. You yep. know where Zion needs to go. He needs to go to the Atlanta Hawks. They got Trey. Uh, I can't think, think of anyone. Trey Young. Trey Young. I can't Trey think of Young. anyone's last name. My goodness. Oh. Um, you got Trey Young, who probably would be the rookie of the year if um, the guy in Dallas, whose name I also can't remember because I'm very on brand tonight. Uh, Doncic, yeah. It, if Luka Doncic wasn't alive, Trey Young would probably be the uh, rookie of the year. But you pair that, you pair Trey Young with Zion. That's a good team. Yeah, I mean, think about all the alley oops that would be thrown. A lot of alley oops. Make it happen, NBA. Freeze the envelopes like you did for Patrick Ewing. Yeah. Do it. Um, let's talk a little golf. Hold on. One more NBA thing before we move on. Okay, I, uh, I, pr- I promised a loyal listener that I would mention this. Did you see that um, Russell Westbrook went 20, 20, and 20 last night? Yeah. Yeah. I, I said I'd mention that. What are your thoughts on that? That's pretty good, right? Or is it? I don't know. Is it fabricated? <laughs> is it like? It was my... My first question was how many rebounds did he steal from Steven Adams? Because Steven Adams, Steven Adams' whole job on that team is box out as many people as possible so Russ can go get rebounds and average a triple-double. But, well, I mean, that's beside the point. 2020 is, like, is pretty cool. 
Is it like where I'm playing Madden and I just want one person to get all the catches even though there's other people open? Like, is is oh, that what it's like? Yeah, well, no, it's like when you're on Madden and you receive, like, you field a punt at the 50-yard line and run all the way back to your own one-yard line <laughs> so you can get 99 <laughs> rushing yards with your running back because you're trying to win You're trying to win the MVP. Yeah, it's just like that. That's I'm, exactly think, what happened. I think he shot 35% from the field last night in a game where he went 20-20-20, and 20, which is the most Russell Westbrook thing ever. They did win. By the way, I, I figured they would have lost in that game because that's usually what Russ does is have great stat lines and losses. But good for you, Russ Westbrook. Is his name Russ or Russell? I mean, I don't is know. It I'm, scared to, I'm, I'm scared to say full names at this point because I've gotten like seven <laughs> consecutive names wrong. So the shorter the name, the better. Okay, can we talk golf now? Let's talk some golf. I watched a lot of golf last week. The golf was great. It was the Dell... Technologies match play event. I believe it's the only match play event of the season. You know, the only I've never heard of it. Plays. Yeah, the only time they do match play besides this are in the President's Cup and the Ryder Cup. So this is a entire tournament completely dedicated to match play. What happens, just as a quick rundown, they put, I guess they have 64, yeah, they have 64 players and they put them in groups of four. Each player plays the other three people in their group in a round-robin type format. So you get one point for winning, you get half a point for tying, and no points for losing. Then the player with the most points in the group advances to the round of 16. If there's a tie in the group, they do like playoff holes, see who wins. And then it's just like head-to-head, you know, 16, 8, 4, 2, and then you have your champion. So... It's definitely different than stroke play. I thought that Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday were awesome because you had matches going on all over the all over the course. You know, you had Tiger and Rory on Saturday morning. You had you that was know, great, by the way. That was awesome. It was incredible. It was incredible. So it, I woke up early to watch fun. golf. That's never happened to me before. I love it. Maybe I'll wake up early to watch soccer one day. I don't know. That's what I'm hoping. See, I'm trying to watch golf so I can talk intelligently with you about it. So I'm going to need some reciprocation. You're going to have to watch some Bundesliga this weekend. I I still can't think of the sixth big six team in the the, (laughs) – Yeah, for the listeners, pre-pod, I had Austin name as many Premier League teams as he could, and he got to five. And (laughs) there's six that are like – That's not true. You I named s- Swat. I named. I didn't name Swansea because they're not in not the, the thing Premier League. Anymore. I named no. Crystal Palace. Not a big six team, though. No, not okay. <laughs> Anyways, the big. So Kevin Kisner won. He took out Matt Kuchar in the final, and actually Sunday kind of sucked. Sun Sunday wasn't good because you had only two matches on the course all the time. A lot of downtime. A lot of dead time. Pretty boring compared. A lot of commercials. Compared to a normal event where you may have four, five, six, seven guys, you know, fighting for the lead. So I don't know if you could do, I, I, I don't know how you would do it, but the first four days were definitely more interesting than, you know, the first days of stroke play. But the last day, I don't, I don't know what you do to make it better. So I don't, yeah, I just don't know. But the biggest thing that happened in golf was, Okay, I'll try to give you the rundown. It was between Matt Kuchar and Sergio Garcia. So Kuchar has a bad hole. He gets in for bogey, okay? And Sergio has a putt for par at about 
I guess it was eight feet. He had eight feet for par. So if he makes a putt, he wins the hole. Okay. And he pulls the putt left. He misses the putt, and it's probably four inches from the hole. Really, really, really close. So now you get into this thing that they're doing in these match play events called where players say, like, hey, that's good. You know, anything like – it's like when we – it's called a concession. You, you concede the putt. Like, yeah, that's good. You don't have to putt that. Basically, like, what we do is a gimme, okay? Sure. It's like, yeah, you know, that's going to be good. You know, I I don't want you to – basically, basically, the way I think about it is, like, I, I don't want – Hey, the Pirates lost. Yeah, they loaded it's one tough, out. Tough, tough. Got one across, couldn't get the second one. Basically, the way I think about it is they don't want to say, like, I don't want you to miss this two-footer and lose the hole. Like, that's not really, like, that's not fair. You know, well, like, I don't... Let me jump in here real quick because there's a little bit of strategy to it, too, it seemed like to me because I think it was the Tiger and Rory match where Tiger kept conceding putts to Rory and there was like a two and a half hour real time period over like 11 or 12 holes where Rory didn't have to make a meaningful putt. So then he gets to like, you know, 17 and he's got to make a birdie putt to stay alive. He hasn't made a real putt, you know, since the eighth hole. So there's, of course, Tiger would be the one to do that, but there's some, some gamesmanship in there too. Yeah, definitely. It's, it's definitely, it's a lot of goodwill. Like a lot of golf is, you know, very um you know manners oriented and and saying you know all right that's you know that's good don't worry about it don't put it and yeah it it also works like if somebody's on the green and regulation and you know a guy misses the fairway punches out hits it in the bunker and is laying you know putting for bogey they just are like all right you won this hole let's not finish this you know it's like let's not let's not waste any time is basically like what that's all about so Getting back to the Kuchar Sergio deal. Like I said, Kuchar's in for bogey. Sergio puts for par, misses it. It's about four feet from the hole. I mean four, four inches no. from the All four right. inches from the hole. I mean, you know, a finger's length. Okay. And so Sergio walks up to the ball, like he puts it, and then as soon like as soon as the ball stopped, he walked immediately up to it and hit it left handed pretty much with the back of his putter. And it lipped out, okay? And the that putt's so close, I mean, anything inside three feet's conceded usually, right? And so that putt was four inches. So he just assumed that it was conceded. But the thing is, rules-wise, Kuchar never verbally said, hey, that's good. So he never technically conceded the putt. And so when Sergio missed it, he just assumed like, hey, this is close, it's good, you know, just – he was frustrated. He kind of jabbed at it and he missed it. And so you had Kuchar go up to the rules official and say like, Hey, I'm not really sure what to do here, but I never actually conceded that verbally, like verbally. How does, how does this work? And the rules official said, you know, you never conceded it verbally. Then you never conceded it. You won the hole, you know, Sergio lost this hole and seems pretty scummy. You know, I don't know, maybe, I can get where you're saying it coming from the point of like, hey, you know, a lot of times golfers get into the scoring tent and, you know, the rules officials like, hey, did you see you did this wrong? We're taking a stroke like that happens. So I can see it from happened to Dustin Kuchar's, Johnson a couple of years yeah. ago. So famously. I can see Kuchar's point of view saying like, hey, I just want to make sure I get this right. You know, like I don't want 
you know, down the road, somebody to say like, you never verbally conceded that, you know, so I, I can get it. But with the whole thing, do you remember everything that happened with him and his caddy in Mexico? No, it was, see, I never really heard that story, but I like, I thought that there was something that went down because Kuchar seems like a really good dude to me, just like watching it. But I've heard more than one person say that like he, he screwed over his caddy or something. I don't know. Tell right. Yeah. So he seems like the total oh shucks guy, right? Like I, I saw a tweet this weekend that said Kuchar seems financially responsible. Like that's, <laughs> that's like, when you look at him, that's sort of like kind of what you see somehow, you know? So yeah, when he was playing in Mexico, he didn't bring his full-time caddy. So he got a local caddy to caddy for him. Somebody that just works at the course in Mexico. Okay. Like this normal guy. Um, I think it was in Mexico. And so somewhere in Latin America. So Kuchar ends up, the, the the normal payout when somebody wins a tournament, they pay their normal caddy 10% of the winnings, okay? So Kuchar ends up winning the tournament, wins like $1.4 million, okay? And know that if it's a temporary caddy, like a one-week caddy, a local caddy, you don't give them 10%. Like you, you're not going to give them $140,000, but you also don't want to like, you made a lot of money and this guy was a reason why, right? So Kucher ends up giving this guy, they agreed before the tournament on $3,000, okay? Which is more than this guy makes in, you know, four days caddying normally. So he, you know, that's fine. But he ends up, he won. He's like, okay, I'll give him a lecture. I gave him $5,000, which is like a one less than 1% of his total winnings, right? So... Um, this sort of, they, I don't know if the caddy talked or whatever, um, but it got out and, and then Kuchar lied about it. And then it, it sort of, he was like, oh yeah, I actually was wrong. You know, I'm going to make things right. I'm give him, you know, 50 or a hundred thousand dollars or whatever, basically trying to like be scummy and, you know, get, be cheap and be financially um, responsible. And be financially responsible. So that rubbed a lot of people the wrong way, rubbed me the wrong way. Like, dude, you made 1.4. You know, this guy was a reason why. Sort of like take care of the people that, you know, are taking care of you, right? So, um, and then this happens, and it's just like, okay, Kuchar, if you want to be scummy, like be scummy, but don't try to be the good guy and be scummy. Like that, you know, that, that just doesn't look good, you know? So... I don't know exactly what the situation was here. Maybe he wasn't, but you know, I'm I'm starting to to have a bad rap for Kuchar. As a tangential golf fan, I like very vaguely knew that story coming into this weekend's tournament. So I was like, no, nah, I'm not rooting for Kuchar. Forget Kuchar, bad dude. Then I watched him play for four days. I was like, nope, like Kuchar. I'm back in on Kuchar. So you telling me the story in full and adding some context. We are now officially an anti Matt Kuchar podcast. We are going all in on being a um, full-time DJ, Dustin Johnson Apologist podcast. We love DJ. He's the best player in the world. Let's go for the Masters. Put all your money, all your Bitcoins on DJ to win the Masters. Actually, I'm, I'm a fan of DJ too, but I am full team Euro right now. Oh, I'm a huge Euro guy. Big big love, Molinari guy? Like Mar- Molinari a lot. Really, really love McElroy. McElroy is my favorite. He's hot right Justin, now too. Oh, man. Justin Rose, he was hot after he lost the Tiger. He declined media. Apparently Did he really? What, about it. Uh, yeah. what, a, what, a, what about the Danish dude that beat Tiger? 
Beer guard? Be- Beersley, yeah. <laughs> Beer garden? <laughs> um, that guy was built. I mean, he was he, – so, yeah, they the Euros are just crushing it. Tommy Fleetwood's really good. I'm looking for a Euro to win the Masters. Uh, we're also a Jordan Spieth podcast here. Like Jordan R- Spieth. R.I.P. Jordan Spieth. He's coming back. I listened to a podcast today on him. And he's 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 on his way back. Look, look, he he sounded a little yippy there for a little bit, but he's, yeah. I think he's on his way back. Who who? What else? What other players are are acceptable on this podcast? Any? Do you got any other names? I mean, we're obviously a big cat podcast. Yeah, that's what I was gonna say. You you have to whether you like it or not. No matter what you think about him, you've got to be pro Tiger if you're gonna watch golf because golf is just more fun when Tiger's out there. Um, on the prowl real big louis oothstazen guy here really like louis um i don't know why he, w- he was wearing a polo shirt and you know how they'll usually have like their you know their it'll the polo shirt will say nike and then their sponsored logo will be on their hat louis just going right. full sponsorship he was wearing a ups shirt it was brown he had on <laughs> shorts it was incredible all about it love me some louis um is john daly still playing john daly was fun <laughs> like john daly um we're running out of golfers that i've heard of uh we don't like patrick reed right patrick reed's a turd is that right yeah he's a we jerk we, we're, we're not we're not patrick reed fans here no, we don't like patrick reed i mean patrick yeah, reed that we went to school with good dude saw him the other night big patrick reed fan personally golfer patrick reed not a good guy yeah not a good guy definitely scummy also, we're not a Bryson DeChambeau. Podcast. Oh, we don't like DeChambeau? Sure. Okay. No, right. we don't like cool DeChambeau. Yeah. So we'll, we'll update the list. We'll, we'll have a running list of How do we feel we about like Brooks Kepka? Like. <sighs> Deciding. He, he's <laughs> Also he's got a, Also very big. He seems like major... Uh, he, he's a major, like, captain, I don't care. You know, captain, like, yeah, if if if... You know, I, I win this tournament or I finish dead last. It, it doesn't matter. I'm, I'm you know, going to hit the bar tonight, you know, so yeah, yeah, I, yeah. I don't know. There's something in well, that. You know, honestly, the, the most success comes from when you're like, ah, I really don't care if I lose right here. You know, <laughs> I mean, it just it really frees you up. So I respect yeah. that lifestyle choice. Just whatever. Yeah, I could I could win or lose two, you know, $2 million on this putt, but who cares? Good yeah, for you. Who cares? I decided that I now like Brooks Kepka. Based on that. <laughs> okay. Yeah, all that to say, we're going to do a bigger Masters preview next week. So really look forward to that. We'll make our picks and talk a little bit about the course and, and all that stuff. So you and me haven't talked about that, but I just decided it. So it's fair. I'm so I'm Masters. doing some golf research this weekend. Got it. Got it. So let's move right into your wheelhouse right now and talk a little football. Talk a little Champions League, a little Championship League, a little Premier League, no Champions Secondary League. league. There's no Champions League this week. Um, I don't know anything that happened in the Championship this week except Swansea won. Go Swans. But we do need to talk Premier League because the title race is heating up. So this weekend, Liverpool played Tottenham on Sunday. Um, huge, huge match. Title implications all over the place. Liverpool hops out to an early 1-0 lead. Roberto Firmino, sick header, 1-0. Second half, Tottenham comes back, ties it up, and it really looks like Liverpool is choking this thing away, right? They're already one point behind Manchester City. It really looks like they're going to drop two more points to Tottenham, who's shaky. Um, and then, I think ninety in the 90th minute, maybe, right at the end of the game, 
Liverpool has a corner kick. Tottenham clears it like to the edge of the box and Liverpool immediately just like chips it back in towards the back post. Mo Salah heads it right on frame, hits the Tottenham goalkeeper directly in the hands, both hands. I'm holding him up in front of my face. I about knocked my mic off the table. Hits him directly in the hands. Botch. Does not catch it. Botches it directly into the feet of another Tottenham player who just clinical, clinically slots it into the back of the net. I mean, a beautiful finish for this Tottenham player, except it was in the wrong goal, own goal to lose the game. I don't know a ton about soccer culture because in, in the UK because I live in Tennessee, and that might be the farthest place away from the UK in the universe. But from what I've picked up, it seems like not that true. this... <laughs> talking about you know figuratively here we're a figurative podcast it seems like <laughs> that tottenham having an own goal coming off their own goalie's hands in the 90th minute of a huge premier league game is like the most on-brand tottenham thing that's ever happened i can't speak to that as far as the history goes because i just started watching soccer this year but um yeah so that's what happened so liverpool takes the lead in the in the premier league for you know like half an hour until manchester city's game ended they also won City's still up by one point. It's going to be a great title race. I saw a stat that said Liverpool, they might not win the title, but they've already amassed the most points in a Premier League season they've ever had. Or That may not be entirely accurate, but they're having a fantastic season. Both of those teams are great. They're two of the best teams in the world. And I'm really excited to watch the last, I think, seven weeks of the Premier League, which I never thought I would say out loud. So... There you go. There you have it. Who do you got? You already said you thought Tottenham was going to win on a couple of weeks ago on the podcast. Tottenham is now down by 19 points, I think, with seven to play. That They're mathematically eliminated. So you have to pick Manchester City or Liverpool. Who you got? Who'd you pick? I'm kind of becoming a closet Liverpool fan. And I don't know why. I really like watching them play. Virgil van Dijk is incredible. All he's, right, just for argument's sake, enormous. I'll pick the Saudis. All right, you take <laughs> I found out after the fact that they're actually from Qatar, not Saudi Arabia, and I felt kind of bad. But yeah, so it's Manchester City. They're owned by by uh, how do you say Qatar? Qataris? Qatarians. Qatari. They're owned by the Qatarian oil lords. So that's who you're you're getting in bed with. Good for you. I got Liverpool. Well, there you go. Great way to wrap up the podcast, you know, Braves my win. Sam's soccer soliloquy and the Braves won right on time. Perfect. Yeah. So as we said in the beginning, please send us your voicemails. We really want to do a voicemails podcast, but we got to have some more. So send them over. Talk about anything you want. Like I said, just keep it clean and...